0: reading today is from 1 Samuel 31 1 to 13 now the Philistines fought against Israel the Israelites fled before them and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa the Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons and they killed his sons Jonathan Abinadab and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armour bearer, draw your sword and run me through or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armour bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor and they sent messengers through the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and fastened his body to the wall of Beth-shan. When the people of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men marched through the night to Beth-Shan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Beth-Shan and went to Jabesh where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. A rather sad tale.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Leslie. Well, after that reading, let's go and have some morning tea. You worried about Beth Jean? Yeah, exactly. Well, let's pray. Father, help us to understand that passage, which is just so tragic and sad, and see the gospel in there and how it might be relevant for us today, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so far on our journey with David, we've, we've covered about 10 years of his life. For about seven of those years, uh, David has been on the run from King Saul. And Saul, Saul had been a good and, and godly man in the beginning of his reign, but he rejected God's plan for his life and God rejected him as the King of Israel. And from that very tragic moment, Saul began this downward trajectory into insanity. And Saul's insanity manifested itself in jealousy and his murderous hatred towards David. And the Bible's record is very clear that Saul hated David and he wanted him dead. But God in his sovereign plan, he protected David from the murderous intentions of this mad king. David survived and indeed he even thrived in many ways when he was on the run from Saul. He grew stronger whilst his enemy Saul was growing weaker. What a testimony that is to the grace of God in difficult circumstances. And this this text which Leslie read for us this morning, it records the awful, tragic death of King Saul and his three sons. Now I want to examine these verses because I believe that they contain a very important message for each one of us who's here today. By way of introduction, allow me to call your attention to, to 2 Samuel, the next book of Samuel, in which David... Laments the death of Saul Have a look at, one, at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1 Verse 19 David is writing this lament And he says this Your glory, O Israel, lies slain on your heights How the mighty have fallen In fact, in the rest of this lament Three times he says How the mighty have fallen And I think that would make a really good sermon title So I titled my sermon How the mighty have fallen but I want to make three observations about this death of Saul today and, the, and how the mighty have fallen. First observation is the incredible tragedy of the death of Saul. His death was a very sad death. I want you to imagine for a the moment the, the, the battlefield scene. The armies of Israel have been put to shame before their enemies. They've been defeated. The bodies of the wounded and the dead, they litter the landscape. King Saul, this powerful, handsome, head and shoulders above everybody king He literally was head and shoulders above them, he was a tall man He's struck by arrows of his enemies and near the king lie the dead bodies of his three sons Saul knows he cannot live, Saul knows he cannot escape So he seeks the help of his armor bearer, kill me he says The armor bearer couldn't do it, he's too terrified. So Saul falls on his own sword. So a reign that's begun so well ends in suicide after a tragic military defeat. The whole story is a tragedy. So it was a very sad death. But not only was it a sad death, it was a shameful death. Two reasons why I say that. It was shameful because of what had happened. I mean, after his death, the body of Saul is desecrated by his enemies. He's beheaded. His head was sent from city to city as a sort of grotesque symbol of the victory of the Philistines. His body, along with the body of his three sons, are taken to Beth-shan and they're nailed to the city walls. The great king of Israel has now become a mockery for the enemies of God. So that's shameful. And it's also shameful because it didn't have to happen this way. Saul's life didn't start out this way. Forty years earlier, Saul had been a handsome young man. He was humble, he was brave, he was obedient when he was first inaugurated as king. But little by little, he allows compromise to enter into his life. And he descends into weakness and wickedness. And when Saul dies, he's only a short distance from Ramah, which is where he began, where he was crowned 40 years earlier. Spiritually, however... He might have been on a different planet altogether Note though, the incredible tragedy of this is that it didn't have to happen like this Because I'm sure that God had a far better plan for Saul's life But Saul failed to live out his life within the plan of God And he paid an incredibly high price as a result Now let's stop there for a second Because this is all about Saul so far But I see this happening in lives around about me as well The same thing happens to people around about all of us. God desires to save us, to bless us and to use us for His glory. People however refuse God's way, they live lives of defeat and ultimately they die tragic deaths. It doesn't have to happen this way. God has a far better plan for each one of us. Jesus says this, He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's God's plan for human lives, that we have a full, abundant life. We can have the ministry of the thief in our lives, or we can have the ministry of the good shepherd in each of our lives. If we're out of step of God's plan, well, let me encourage you this morning, if you feel like you're out of step of God's plan, get in line again, because you want to avoid this tragic fate that awaits you, just like it awaited Saul and his family. So, the first point is the tragedy of Saul's death. But the second point I want to make is the incredible testimony of Saul's death. There's a powerful testimony there. First of all, there's a reminder in Saul's death. It's a clear reminder. Now, here's where we get really excited and you go put a big smile on your face. I want to remind every one of you, you're going to die. We've all got one-way tickets. Have you noticed that? Death is coming for all of us. Think about it. On on the battlefield that day, the poor man and the rich man died. The king and the slave, they died. The godly man and the sinner, they died. The Israelite and the Philistine, they died. The weak and the powerful, all of them entered death together on that battlefield. Now, this this pitiful scene, it's a tragic but clear reminder. Death plays no favourites. And unless the Lord returns in our lifetime, and we get to experience the rapture, none of us are getting out of here alive either. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. Let me read some Bible verses for you. Hebrews 9.27 Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. One way, isn't it? 2 Samuel 14.14 Like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. Job 14, verse 5, man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. There's a boundary on our, life, on our living. Psalm 40, uh, 89, verse 48, what man can live and not see death or save himself from the power of the grave? Silah, that means think about it. Romans five twelve: therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all men because all have sinned. Ecclesiastes 12 verse five, man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. There you go. It's all over the place in scripture. We're going to die. Now, you might not like to think about that and you might not like to live with that in mind. But death is coming for us all. And that's the testimony of Saul's death. It's the testimony of every graveyard. It's the testimony of every funeral home. It's the testimony of every hospital Death is coming And you and I better be ready when it does One of the old lecturers at Bible College said Gentlemen, you must be ready to preach, pray or die at any moment (laughs) (laughs) He had our attention then There's a wonderful old legend about a merchant in Baghdad Who uh, one day sent his servant to market And before very long the servant came running back he was white as a sheet, absolutely terrified. He was trembling. He was great in great agitation. He says, "Master, master, I went down to the marketplace and I was jostled by a woman in the crowd, and when I turned around and I saw who it was, it was death. She jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gest- gesture. Master, please lend me your horse for I must hasten away to avoid her. I will ride to Samara and there I will hide and death will not find me." The merchant lent him his horse and the servant galloped away in great haste. Later the merchant went down to the marketplace and saw death standing in the crowd. He went over to her and asked, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make a threatening gesture? That was not a threatening gesture, death said. It was only a start of surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad for I have an appointment tonight with him in Samara. <laughs> oh... Each of us has an appointment in Samara. Be careful But brothers and sisters, this is a cause for rejoicing This is not a depressing sermon This is a cause for rejoicing Provided we put our trust in Jesus Who alone holds the key of life and death Have you put your faith in Him? There's also an incredible reality of Saul's death And the reality is this We can either die badly, like Saul, or we can die well When a life has been lived like the life of Saul, death is always going to be a tragedy When there's no repentance, when there's only anguish of wasted years That is a terrible and tragic event We've all known people who live such lives And you think like, oh, what a wasted life You've all gone to that kind of a funeral, I'm quite sure It's never pleasant when death comes for someone who's not properly prepared for it. You know, even God doesn't desire the death of a sinner. Listen to what God says. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their wicked ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. That's in Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11. God doesn't want anyone to die. He wants us all to come to Him. That's the reality of death. It's there. On the other hand, when a saint of God who's lived the right kind of of life (coughs) and death comes to them, (coughs) that's not a tragedy. That's a victory. Listen to what the Bible says about the death of one of God's children. Psalm 116, verse 15. It says, "...precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints." In other versions it says, carefully watched over by the Lord is the death of His saints. God is paying particular attention. Revelations chapter 14 verse 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write. blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. So for the saint of God, death is going to be a rest from your labor. Philippians 1 verse 21 the apostle Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain Why? Because he's going to be with Jesus, he's going into his very presence Further Paul says to Timothy he says I am already being poured out like a drink offering And the time has come for my departure I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for His appearing. Is that you? Have you longed for the appearing of the Saviour? Because Paul says if you're one of these people who longs for the appearing of Jesus, you will be awarded the crown of righteousness. How exciting that is! When the precious saints of God breathe their last on this earth, they merely go home to be with the Lord Jesus in His presence What an incredible contrast between the death of a sinner and the death of a saint Have you given some thought on how you want to die? Given the demographic, you're better, okay? I want to leave here one day serving Jesus That's how I want to die, serving Him Saul left a tragic testimony to his death in his death What kind of testimony will you leave behind? The third thing I want to look at this morning, the third point, is the teaching that we have from Saul's death. Because before we leave this passage, there's one more aspect which I really want to examine. You might not believe it, but there are some some common elements between the death of King Saul and the death of King Jesus. Let's have a look at the common elements they have there. First of all, there's the appearances of Saul's death. There are two things that appeared to be true when Saul died. And the same two things appeared to be true when Jesus died. The first one is, it appeared that the end had come. When Israel saw that King Saul was dead, they ran away. They fled in fear. Many saw Saul as the hope of Israel, and when he died, they thought all hope is gone. It's finished. Well... How must the followers of Jesus have felt when Jesus died on the cross? When they saw him hanging dead on that cross, surely they thought all hope is gone, this is the end, it's finished. I can imagine their fear, their sense of loss, the hopelessness when Jesus died on that day. It appeared that the end had come. And it also appeared that the enemy had won. In the, in the reading which Leslie read for us this morning, it tells us the Philistines, they occupied the Israelite cities. They mutilated the corpses of Saul and his sons. They sent Saul's head from city to city as a testimony of the power of their gods. They rejoiced in their victory over Israel. They looked like, it looked like the enemy of the people of God had been victorious. But what happened when King Jesus died? It must have looked like Satan and all of his minions had won the battle against God on the day that Jesus died on that cross at Golgotha. I can picture the demonic hordes rejoicing in the death of the Messiah because it looked at all appearances, the enemy's won, life has been defeated by death, righteousness has been destroyed by sin, and hope has been vanquished by hopelessness. But I'm very glad that appearances can be deceiving. In Israel, Saul might have been dead and the Philistines might have been claiming new territory but God still had his man. He had David. In a few days, David was going to set things right. The enemy had won nothing more than a little bit more time. The day was coming when the king of Israel would destroy them forever. And that's the same when Jesus died on the cross. Hell rejoices, the earth mourns, heaven waits with bated breath. From all appearances, hope is gone, evil's triumphed, but God still had his man. Three days after Israel crucified their king on the cross, he arose from the dead, he defeated his foes, he he claimed the eternal victory for himself and for everyone who follows him. Hallelujah, what a saviour! What are the accomplishments of Saul's death? Because God used the death of Saul to accomplish some very important matters in Israel. God uses the death of Jesus also to accomplish some very important matters in the spiritual realm. First of all, Saul's death allowed the introduction of a new plan. When Saul and his sons died, the way was open for David to be the next king. And this fulfilled prophecies that were there in the Old Testament. It was in Genesis that the scepter will not depart depart from Judah. And it was also made, the prophecy was made in Samuel as well. So God uses this event to change the royal line of Israel, to prepare for the advent of the Messiah. So when Jesus was born, he was rightful heir to the throne because David had been sitting on the throne and Jesus was of the line of David. So the line of kings had to change. It couldn't be the line of Saul. It had to be the line of David that was on the throne. So God uses those events. The death of Jesus signals the end of the Old Testament system of sacrifice and worship. And that's graphically illustrated to us. When the, you remember the story about the temple, uh, the veil and the temple being torn into from the top to the bottom? Why from the top to the bottom? Because God was doing the tearing. He's saying no longer will you come into my presence through the, through the sacrifice of, of animals and via priests. No, I'm tearing this apart. Instead you're going to come into my presence through the sacrifice of my son the great high priest. And it allows the introduction of a new people because David was not in the the human line to ascend to the throne. David was not of the line of Saul, so the throne didn't belong to that family line. That had to change, like I mentioned a moment ago. And that's opened up, that opens up the way because of the death of Saul. In the same way, the death of Jesus on the cross opens up the way for people to be saved who have no hope otherwise. Let's face it, the poor old Gentile, anyone who wasn't a Jew, had no hope of being saved. But Jesus, he opens the way for us to come to him by faith when he dies. Jesus died on the cross. His death provides a way for whoever wants to. Anyone who wants to, it says in the scripture, can be saved. All you've got to do is desire to be saved, and you can be saved. Because the blood of Jesus pays our sin debt, it allows us access to God by grace. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except by the Son. And now because the Son has died, the way to God has been opened to all who want to, to come to Him. And it also allows the introduction of a brand new promise. The reign of Saul had been a time of failure and terrible dissatisfaction amongst the people of Israel. You remember when, when David first of all arose, there was a whole bunch of dissatisfied people that followed him? Remember these mighty men, the 400 that turn up to him first of all? And then it grows to about 600 more? Well, when, when, when Saul dies, a whole brand new era is ushered in. David comes to the throne. He brings a whole season of prosperity and hope to Israel like they'd never known. Their territory expands and expands and expands under the ministry and under the time of David. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, his death signals the, end, signals the end of an era of guilt, the end of the era of the law. He brings an era of grace. Now we can be delivered from our guilt. We can be delivered from our past. We can be delivered from our sins simply by faith in the risen Savior. I see all of that in that passage. There's another thing that's here. And that's the absurdity of the death, of Saul's death. Because in his death, Saul displays for all to see the foolishness of man. One time when when Saul is confronted by David, Saul says, I've acted foolishly. I've acted foolishly. Well, he lived like a fool and he died like a fool as well. When Jesus died on the cross, where's the similarity? When Jesus died on the cross, many must have thought that he and God had played fools as well. I mean, no one expected the Messiah to be crucified. They didn't understand that, that was going to happen. That would have been a foolish plan. Well, from our perspective, it is foolish, isn't it? That's not how you win a, win a fight, by dying. But that which appears to be foolishness to human beings is actually the power of God in action. Through the death of Jesus, the kingdom of God is established forever. People who are lost, people who are heading to hell, they can be redeemed, bought back, and God is glorified forever. It may have seemed foolish to others, but the death of Jesus on the cross was the culmination of 4,000 years of activity on the part of God. When Jesus died on that cross, the way of salvation was opened up for all of God's people. The world still sees the preaching of the gospel as foolishness, that you've got to put your faith in some bloke that died. I still think that's a silly story But it's still the power of God for those who believe it and receive it How the mighty have fallen Saul died like a fool Jesus died but he rose as victor My question for each one of you this morning is how will you die? How will you die? What will be said about you when you leave this world? Will it be said that you lived and died like a fool? Or will it be said that you lived your life for Jesus whilst you were here and that you died enjoying the victory in your soul of knowing Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord and that death cannot hold you down? This week I saw some, some fascinating photos of an old Methodist church cemetery. And there were graves that dated back into the 1700s somewhere. And on a few of these graves there were tombstones that had hands carved on them. The index finger was pointing to heaven. That's a testimony of the faith of the people that were buried there, their hope that heaven was to be theirs. However, in that same cemetery there are at least two tombstones where the hands were also carved on them, but they had chains wrapped around the wrist and the index finger of those hands was pointing down. That testifies to a foolish life, lived the wrong way. They knew the destiny of these folks. It wasn't up to heaven, it was down to the other place I don't even want to talk about. If we were to carve your headstone today, what would we carve on it? Which way is the hand going to be pointing? Yeah. Which way? It's up to you to decide. Brothers and sisters if there are problems in your life, in your living, in the potential of your dying, today is a great day to get it fixed up. The fact is we will be leaving this world one day. I pray that we will leave this world ready to meet Jesus, saved by His grace, believing in His death and trusting in His resurrection for each one of us. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank You that we can know the incredible good news, the story of Your life, Your death, and Your resurrection for each one of us. I pray, Father God, for each of my brothers and sisters here today and for those that hear this message via the internet, Father God, that they will also, each one, be able to be put right with You through faith in Jesus, trusting in Him alone, not in their own good works, but simply putting their faith in Jesus who lived and died and rose for each of us. We pray in his name.